0: Welcome to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and in this podcast, we interview leaders and experts in critical care. And for today, we go to London, the United Kingdom, to discuss transcriptomic signatures in sepsis and a differential response to steroids. Okay, uh, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hello, uh, my name is Anthony Gordon. I'm the Chair of Anesthesia and Critical Care at Imperial College London. And I'm also an NIHR research professor, as well as being a clinician looking after critically ill patients in the ICU. Uh, My research interest is in sepsis. I've been the chief investigator for a number of randomized clinical trials uh, in sepsis. And I lead a multi-professional group looking to develop improved ways to manage patients with sepsis using
0: a personalized medicine approach. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast today. Your group recently published an article in the Blue Journal entitled Transcriptomic Signatures in Sepsis and a Differential Response to Steroids. And this is based on uh, the Vanish Randomized Trial, which was published in JAMA in 2016. I was hoping you could give us an overview as to why you performed uh, the study on the transcriptomic signatures, um, and maybe a brief overview of the BANISH trial for the benefit of our audience. Yeah,
1: so our interest is in sepsis. As we all know, it's a major uh, global healthcare problem, and it's the most common cause of death in uh, hospitals for patients. And although some evidence that mortality rates are gradually improving as we provide Better general supportive care, um, including more timely resuscitation antibiotics we've had no new therapies despite many decades of research and we think one of the likely problems is that sepsis is a heterogeneous syndrome rather than a specific disease we know it affects both the old and the very young those with many comorbidities as well as sometimes out of the blue affecting the fit and healthy individuals and of course there's differences because of different infections. We think that this heterogeneity means that a one-size-fits-all approach is unlikely to work when it comes to developing new treatments. And most of the clinical trials in sepsis to date have studied all comers with sepsis. Um, And although no trials have shown a convincing benefit in the whole population of patients who have sepsis, it's possible that there are subgroups um, who might have benefited. Um, And of course the counter of this is that there may also be some some subgroups in the whole population who might have been harmed by treatments. We as a community tried uh, running trials in select subgroups of patients more likely to benefit. So this has been done in the past, maybe selecting sicker patients or even using single biomarkers to try and enrich the patient population to identify those likely to benefit. For instance, measuring a single marker of inflammation, such as one of the cytokines, interleukin-6 and inflammatory markers. If those patients have high levels, suggesting more inflammation, then they've been targeted with anti-inflammatory drugs. However, these relatively simple approaches have generally not worked. And so Uh, Colleagues and I in the UK, particularly uh, Julian Knight and Charles Hines, have been, over a number of years, trying to uh, characterise the heterogeneity of sepsis using uh, genomic approaches. And we have previously shown in multiple cohorts that by using gene expression data from these patients, that there seem to be at least two subgroups of patients with sepsis who have very different gene expression profiles. And importantly have different outcomes. We've called these subgroups sepsis response signatures or SRS for short. And we've consistently seen uh, that the group we call SRS1 has a higher mortality rate than patients in the SRS2 group. And we've seen from doing pathway analysis of the gene expression profiles that the SRS1 group looked like they are relatively immunosuppressed compared to the SRS2 group. And Another important thing about these uh, groupings is that um, these distinct groups are identified by looking at the natural patterns or groupings of the data within the gene expression profiles. And this was done without knowing anything about the individuals or their outcomes. And therefore, they likely represent distinct biological subgroups in this heterogeneous sepsis population. But all of these studies we've done around the SRS2 subgroups have come from observational studies. We know uh, that they have different outcomes, but we don't know if they respond differently to treatment. And therefore, we studied them now for the first time in a randomized controlled trial, as you mentioned, the VANISH trial, which stands for vasopressin versus norepinephrine as initial therapy in septic shock. This was a UK trial uh, funded by the NIHR, conducted in 18 general intensive care units uh, in the UK over a two-year period uh, from 2013 to 2015. It was a factorial design trial, two by two, where just over 400 patients with septic shock were randomized to receive either a blinded infusion of vasopressin versus norepinephrine as the initial vasopressor therapy, And then if they reached the maximum dose of these uh, blinded infusions, they received either hydrocortisone, 50 milligrams intravenously every six hours, or a matching placebo. Importantly, all the study drugs were blinded, so that neither the clinicians nor the patients knew what treatment they had. And also the treatment allocation was randomized, ensuring that the patients were similar in both treatment groups. we had collected blood samples on the day of recruitment to assess SRS group membership at the time of study entry
0: and randomization. So how did you perform your study? And how do you think it differs from previous studies on the same topic? So we
1: were able to analyze and allocate SRS allocation from these baseline samples collected in the banished trial. Up until now, the trials in sepsis have generally taken an all-comers approach. And using this uh, biomarker-guided approach, we wanted to assess for a treatment subgroup interaction.
0: And what specifically did you find?
1: First of all, we saw that these two distinct SRS groups were again seen in this cohort of septic shock patients. This was important to know as the group of patients we were studying in the Vanish trial were on average sicker than the previous uh, sepsis cohorts of patients that we'd studied and it demonstrates that the distinct SRS groupings are still there um, in the sicker group of patients and they're, they're more than just a measure of illness severity. We then examined the response to treatment. When we looked at the response uh, to vasopressin or norepinephrine, according to the SRS groups, we saw there was no difference between the two subgroups. However, when we examined the response to steroids or placebo, according to the SRS groups, we saw marked differences. And this uh, difference was statistically significantly different. In patients with the SRS2 signature who had received placebo, they had a low mortality rate around 8%, just as we've seen in our previous studies. We know this group of patients do well. However, in those patients who were in this SRS2 group, and they had been randomized to and received steroids, they had a higher mortality rate, around about 42%. Again, this difference in mortality between the patients randomized to steroids or placebo was highly statistically significantly different. In the SRS1 group, there was no statistically significant difference in mortality rates between uh, the steroid-treated patients who had a mortality around 33% or the placebo-treated patients who had a mortality rate of 37%. But of course, relatively small numbers in the subgroup mean that they have a lack of power necessary to exclude important differences in terms of mortality. Importantly, in both the SRS1 and the SRS2 groups, patients treated with steroids tended to have a shorter time to reversal of shock, although this wasn't statistically significant in either group. However, we've seen that this consistent result in many larger trials that corticosteroids do lead to a quicker
0: resolution of shock. So how would you interpret these findings, um, and what do you think are the limitations of your study?
1: Well, we think these results are novel and exciting, but we acknowledge we need to be cautious not to overinterpret them at this early stage. One possible interpretation is that we know the SRS2 patients generally have a good outcome from sepsis, and we saw this again in the placebo patients in our study. However, when they were given steroids, they then had a higher mortality. We don't know why this occurred, and because steroids have multiple mechanisms of action. We can only speculate at this stage. However, we do know steroids have immunosuppressive effects, and it is possible that they have made the relatively immunocompetent patients that characterize SRS2 patients more immunosuppressed, and this might have actually increased their mortality. Importantly, as I've mentioned, we know that steroids do shorten the duration of shock, and clinically, we would expect this to be a good thing. We've seen this hemodynamic effect of steroids in multiple trials. And we, again, saw that in both the SRS-1 and SRS-2 patients in our study. Our findings would suggest, though, that the risk-benefit profile of steroids may therefore vary between the different subgroups of patients with septic shock. Maybe that all patients get benefit in terms of their hemodynamics. But the adverse effects of immunosuppression may only be seen in certain subgroups of patients. However, reiterate, this is all speculation at the moment and highlights some of the limitations of our study. It is a retrospective post hoc analysis of an already conducted trial. However, the SRS groupings were prospectively identified and validated in independent cohorts, but clearly further validation of our findings will be needed.
0: So let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into your findings. Um, Are you able to comment on the inflammatory markers in those who are immunosuppressed versus immunocompetent um, and whether the steroids may have altered them in any way? Uh, That is a good point. And it is uh,
1: work that we are continuing to do at the moment. We don't have uh, the answer to that. We are looking to do functional studies to understand what biological effect the steroids might have had and have they in fact changed uh, these patients their biology um, once
0: they've been given steroids. That
1: work is ongoing at the moment.
0: Great and in terms of measuring the SRS um, uh, uh, markers, uh, in, in your paper, you reported that it was on, uh, I think, randomization or day one. Um, have you got any data on whether that changes or, or the RNA profiles change over maybe at seven days or 14 days?
1: Again, this is work that's ongoing, not quite at that sort of time intervals. We're, we're looking at how they changed um, sort of at 48-hour intervals over that first week. And that's what we're looking to see. Has the profile changed over time? And again, we will hopefully that will provide us more information about the biological effect
0: of steroids. Gotcha. Well, very interesting work. Um, one question I have for you is, there seems to be a lot of research groups that are doing really great work looking at subpenotypes or endotypes or sepsis, but they're looking at different aspects of sepsis. How do you think... Um, all this data is going to be merged, or do we need some sort of collaborative group who uh, synthesizes all this information together? Because it may be possible that your group is working on SRS, another group is working on temperature, another group is working on a slightly different uh, sub phenotype. How are we going to make sense of this once everyone's done their analyses and their research uh, studies?
1: I think you raise an important point. There's a lot of work going on around the world looking at how we can better characterise sepsis patients. Um, And I think the community is uh, coming together. We're aware of uh, colleagues in the Netherlands who have been doing similar work around gene expression profiles in sepsis, the Mars Consortium. And um, our group has published with them joint studies looking at how these groupings compare. And we've, I think, importantly shown that they're Taking different groups, taking different approaches, have found very similar uh, findings. Uh, Their subgroups align quite well with our SRS uh, groupings. And that, first of all, gives us confidence that these findings are real, um, as you see them through independent validation. But I think it also shows that as a community, we can come together and tackle this problem. And I think it does involve a big collaborative group um, with sharing of results and data to really understand the subphenotypes in sepsis and how we can best identify uh, the patients and personalize their treatments. My personal thinking is that the by using more data and more different types of data, we can actually unpick um, the complex problem of sepsis. And so it's not a case of choosing one modality over another, and in fact, by combining the data, we may be able to um, personalize or even develop a precision medicine uh, approach in sepsis. So, not just two groups, we may find there are even subgroups of uh, these um, profiles, and that may
0: ultimately lead to better care for our patients. Thank you. And You alluded to this in uh, earlier in this podcast about the problem with the surrogate measures or physiological measures, about the fact that uh, hydrocortisone seems to decrease the time to uh, shock reversal but actually it may, in some patients, uh, increase their mortality. What is, are your thoughts about the physiological measures or surrogate measures uh, without using hard endpoints uh, such as mortality?
1: I think These surrogate endpoints are important to understand the biology of our treatments and the pathophysiology of any disease and understand what is going on and how it changes over time. However, I think it's important that ultimately our decisions are based on uh, high-quality evidence from randomized control trials that used patient-centered outcomes. Um, Obviously, survival is uh, key um, there, but there are other also important uh, patient-centered outcomes that maybe need to be considered. And so our tr- trials, that's why we do the large phase three trials to fully understand the total um, effect of our treatments. What's their overall effectiveness? Taking into account both the biological efficacy, but also safety. And that's why we need Um, always should be guided by high-quality clinical
0: trials. For the benefit of our our audience, um, what would you consider as outcomes, not mortality, but other outcomes, patient-centered outcomes, that clinicians should focus on and report uh, in sepsis trials?
1: I think patients uh, report that, um, as well as whether they survive their uh, critical illness, uh, that These can have a long-term effect on their quality of life. So quality of life measures are clearly important. Um, Things like muscle weakness and strength uh, become a problem. And also, cognitive uh, dysfunction can be a problem for a long time for patients. And so these are the uh, sort of measures that I think is important uh, for our larger phase 3
0: trials that we need to be reporting. So for the benefit of our audience, um, you mentioned certain limitations uh, in your study, namely uh, the low study numbers and the fact that randomization to the SRS uh, endotype uh, wasn't possible. So how did you get around this in terms of uh, statistical methods? And I think uh, having this information available on this podcast would be useful, especially for um, our ATS community.
1: Yes, you point out, a number of important features of the study. As mentioned, it was a post hoc subgroup analysis of the trial, so the numbers are low, particularly in each of the subgroups. So we accounted for that. We repeated our analysis uh, using an exact logistic regression analysis as a sort of sensitivity uh, analysis. We are also aware that even though allocation to the treatment were randomized, we weren't able to stratify according to SRS group at the time of randomization. and so to account for potential imbalances of other confounders, we did conduct multiple logistic regression analysis to account for that. And in all of these analyses we saw the same or very similar results suggesting our findings were robust despite the low numbers. But, of course, it'd still be important to uh, independently validate these uh, results in other
0: studies. Agree. So how do you think your study advances our understanding of sepsis? And how do you think it may influence either future research or future clinical practice?
1: Well, we think this study um, may help explain um, many of the... conflicting results we've seen in previous trials of steroids in septic shock. There have been many trials over decades, and we still don't clearly know if steroids reduce mortality in septic shock, and we've seen these conflicting results exemplified by two of the most recent uh, large trials of steroids, the APROX trial and the ADRENAL trial. In the APROX trial, there was a mortality reduction seen uh, with steroids. But in the adrenal trial, there was no statistically significant difference in survival rates. In both trials, they saw that steroids led to a shorter duration of shock. So we think it's possible if the trials recruited different portions of SRS1 and 2 patients, the overall average effect of steroids seen in the trial would be different. And as the control group mortalities were higher in the PROX trial compared to adrenal, we think it's feasible, at least, that the APROX may have recruited a higher proportion of SRS1 patients, and ADRENAL may have had a higher proportion of SRS2 patients. If it is the case that the SRS2 patients are, in fact, harmed by steroids, this could potentially mask the potential beneficial effect of steroids in the SRS1 patients. Therefore, we think this lays the foundation for a more personalized medicine approach in sepsis, and that rather than give steroids to all patients with septic shock, it may be better to only give them to the SRS1 patients and avoid them in the SRS2 patients if it is these patients who are more likely to experience the adverse effects. We think this ultimately could uh, influence routine clinical practice, but we think it's important that this is tested in future biomarker-guided clinical trials.
0: And what studies are you aware of um, that are currently underway that you think could uh, improve on your study design or answer some of the limitations that you identified in your study?
1: I think there are a number of important sort of studies that need to be done before we change uh, patient care. I think, first of all, it would be useful to do more investigation of uh, previously conducted trials if they've got samples, so if we can understand the effect of steroids and gene expression profiles. Also, if we understand the mechanism of these effects, I think that would be useful too. The next thing I think we, what we really need to do is run clinical studies using clinical diagnostic tests. To show that we can actually prospectively identify these subgroups of patients based on their gene expression profiles and do this in real time so that this information can actually be used by clinicians at the bedside to influence patient care. At the moment we've looked at these uh, profiles in a research lab after they've already received treatment. So we need to improve this and develop these bedside Uh, tests I think and then finally like all new treatment strategies uh, we should test this personalized medicine approach in high quality randomized clinical trials so that we gather robust information about its efficacy and its safety and I think these trials will need to incorporate these gene expression biomarkers and in this way we hope we can enrich the trial populations and actually, then deliver a personalised medicine uh, for patients uh, with sepsis.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the podcast, uh, Dr. Anthony Gordon, and really appreciate you taking the time to speak uh, to the ATS community about your fascinating work uh, published in the Blue Journal. You take care.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: A big thank you to Dr. Anthony Gordon, and a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective Podcast. I'm Dominique Pepper for the American Thoracic Society.